not a problem. Okay, it's starting. <clears throat> I think we are live, I'm not sure. Okay. Okay, we're live. Okay, uh, great. Hello. Uh, I okay. am Shannon Fernandez from uh, the Theory Club and uh, uh, we're doing another Dummies Guide. Uh, for those who don't know what the Dummies Guide is, uh, it's a series of uh, lectures slash talks where we uh, explain different ideas. Uh, and we have different speakers. This uh, for this uh, event we have uh, Ankita Gujar with us. Uh, she is the professor of uh, uh, sociology and anthropology at Saint Xavier's College, and uh, she will be discussing uh, inclusive uh, education during uh, uh, COVID and after COVID with us today. So thank you for being with us, Ankita. Most welcome. Thank you so much for having me here and like collaborating on such a brilliant series as well. And it's been super interesting to watch the videos that you put up, including the ones of Nietzsche and feminism and all of that. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so would you like to get right into it? Yes, sure. Definitely. All right. uh, yeah. So my exposure to inclusive education comes from sort of um, when I was a student, I volunteered with the XRCVC um, in college. And um, since then, it's been something that uh, plays on my mind, but I've never really gotten into, except for, say, I think sociology and anthropology naturally sensitizes you a little more to being aware of what this idea of inclusion means and should mean, okay? Um, and it's interesting that we're doing this today because um, this is June 2020, and 10 years ago in April uh, 2010 is when the uh, idea of education became a right which means it was protected by the constitution, guaranteed by it. And if you did not receive it, uh, the judicial system could challenge the government as to why is a child not getting educated, okay? Uh, it was passed in uh, April, the 1st of April 2010, if I'm not mistaken, which means for the June 2010 semester, uh, students had to be enrolled in education. It was a right for them, all right? Um, of course, it was introduced in the Lok Sabha in 2009. And then here we are 10 years later, looking at not just making education accessible but also demanding a certain quality of education that comes about okay and within this is the idea of inclusion inclusion is also quality but it's also about civil rights so what we're looking at today is something we call a rights-based discourse which means once you make sure that something becomes a right within the legal framework it has to be assured and it has to be guaranteed and it has to be delivered upon and it can be fought for okay it can be fought for legitimately within the legal system and that is important because when you're looking at a country as young as ours and we keep talking about this idea of india as a very young country and all of that and when you're looking at a country as young as ours you need to also look at the rights of citizens who are younger than perhaps most of our leaders usually tend to be in terms of age and these this is a, a bulk of the population that you need to care for, that you need to watch out for, and you need to figure out what is this idea of positive social transformation. So rights-based approach, particularly when you include the term inclusion, 
hierarchy. Yeah, if you include the term inclusion, is looking towards positive social transformation. Um, within a rights-based approach, you have three main ideas that come about from looking at inclusion, which starts off in the United States as a civil rights issue. Okay, um, it's a transformation from uh, segregated classrooms to more generalized and inclusive classrooms. Segregated classrooms mean, meaning you have special ed, uh, special needs education-based schools, to now you have the same general classroom in which you have educators who take it upon, upon themselves, the onus is on them to start teaching better and teaching more accessibly, all right? And you're looking at three rights. One is the right to access to education, all right? Uh, the right to information and therefore quality of information and the right to live with dignity and respect. Along with this, therefore, comes the idea of equality of opportunity, which has also been enshrined as a right in the Indian constitution. And of course, then you have multiple sort of uh, UNICEF and UNESCO, two main uh, players in ensuring this idea of positive social transformation. And it's upheld by the UDHR, which is the, Uni the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Okay. That kind of locates this conversation in the idea of how inclusion, in a sense, becomes a right. Okay. Within education and education itself is a right. Because if you're looking at equality of opportunity, then you can't have segregated schools. I mean, you would require some segregation within schooling to ensure that the most severe cases of persons with disabilities are also kind of engaged in the education system. But when it comes to milder or more moderate cases, you can afford to make sure that the educator develops and delivers that right um, with a certain quality to a person who they otherwise initially historically have not incorporated into a larger rights-based discourse or into a larger systemic social system of sorts okay and that's where you need inclusion right um with this idea of inclusion now we come to in education theory when you talk of the term inclusion what does it really mean one rights now we're coming to section two which talks about education and inclusion theory particularly a term okay we three is we sort of see it thrown around very casually in terms of ye inclusive hona chahiye, wo inclusive hona but inclusion ka history kya hai and where does inclusion come from and why does it become important okay so one is you have this idea that the law demands that a child particularly within the public school system be educated with the least restrictive environment for the most productive growth when you look at this idea of least restrictive environment, the idea of a segregated classroom, particularly for um, within, and this is again located within the discourse of persons with disabilities initially, initially in the 1960s and 70s when it starts off um, as a civil rights issue in the US, it is located in the context of the idea of segregated classrooms are not non-restrictive environments. They are restrictive environments because you're not allowing for a person to have a natural social interaction with somebody who is different from them and somebody yet who lives in the same society as them all right um now within this what we have developing over the 70s and 80s is something called an individualized educational program or individualized education programs um if you remember in school i don't know i went to an sse school so i remember we had something called speco classes okay and speco was basically special coaching uh this was given to two kinds of so initially it started off with of course because every educational institution needs to do this idea of impression management 
which is basically hame dikhana hai ki best practices hamare paas bahut hai okay and we need to put them down on paper and we need to show off certain names and we need to show that we've done certain things so within this idea of speco classes or uh, special coaching classes you had the top 10% of any class being given extra lectures so that they could come in something called the merit list okay 10 standard merit list three years down the line you have speco starting for those who are not able to uh, get the same amount or um, amount of marks as the others so you also had uh, the students who were not able to crack what uh, generalized classrooms were getting a little extra from the educators side saying that okay we will invest it because it's not the guys who are already making 85 to 90% who need extra help it is you guys that need extra help clearly because then we're not doing enough for you and it's um in a sense it was an interesting development and a positive development because you're looking at making sure that a person does not feel left out of the larger social discourse and and oftentimes a merit based system does that it leaves a lot of people out of what we normalize into an intelligent discourse or a discourse on intelligence of sorts okay and with this comes the idea that with an individualized education program that every student should have some takeaway from a class that is tailored somewhat to their needs not entirely but somewhat to their needs and therein changes the onus of uh, the educator becoming the sensitive and empathetic individual within the classroom space by acknowledging that they have the power and capability to modify how they teach to incorporate students from multiple backgrounds as well okay and as we come to say the late 80s and 90s and now the 2000s in particular in india we're looking at not just inclusion being about students or persons with disabilities but we're also looking at inclusion being about uh, race language for us of course caste um and uh, gender as well as a discourse okay and the urban rural divide as well um and often times just to give you an example when i started off as a, as a as a teacher like when i started off teaching in 2012 uh at zeros i took i took the pop culture lecture uh and i gave all these examples and all of them were urban centric and there was a group of persons who told me yeah we don't understand your examples because we can't relate to them and that's what made me realize like urban the geographical divide or regional divide particularly becoming even more evident today as we look at the migrant crisis is something that is an issue that inclusion needs to deal with and uh, so anyway um inclusion basically uh, with the individualized education program i went a little off center there but with the individual education program talks about uh, the using and uh, modification and adaptation of specially designed instructions uh, in students's area of weakness so once you identify what is an area of weakness you sort of manipulate how you act as an educator in order to make sure that that particular need for that point of time whether it's a mild or a moderate need is catered for example i was told i was taught in fact uh, when i started my pedagogical learning um, if i have a visually challenged student in class and if i'm using the blackboard then all i have to do to include them in the discourse is as i'm writing read off what i'm writing all right you don't have to uh, inclusion does not mean at any level whatsoever bringing down the discourse of your discipline it merely means changing your techniques so that you are more empathetic and you're more aware of what is required for an individual to learn all right and that does not mean oversimplifying ideas it just simply means delivering them in a uh, communic 
through a communicative technology that is accessible to them and their skill set, okay, and the resources that they have with them. Um, so in a sense, inclusion, when it's taught as a pedagogical tool, is oftentimes about forcing educators to be better educators and going beyond their comfort zone of tried and tested, you know, blackboard, chalkboard method or whatever it is, or reading out notes and dictating notes and all of that. So I think for me personally, inclusion makes us more relevant as educators as well, because we have to take the effort to ensure that we're up to date with our um, sort of content, but also up to date with our students, what our students feel within the classroom space while learning. And, and it's at the end of the day, it comes down to sort of uh, making sure that universities and particularly how lecturers engage with their audience is not about the idea of universities or educational institutions being bubbles in themselves, you know, they're not like, but better research karo ek kone mein library mein jao, and then that's your desk and that's your little armchair uh, engagement with your discipline of sorts. Okay, even a laboratory in a closed setting can become a, a, a very sort of uh, latent sort of uh, space. And I think students are the ones who push in. Um. You have cut off. Is that space? And say, no, 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 this is not good enough for us. Uh, your video is closing. Are you able to hear me? Or... Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, you can hear me now. Was my video feed? Uh... Yeah, it froze. Yeah, it's fine now. Yeah. It's fine now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, any part that you want me to go over again, particularly, or it's okay? No, that's fine. Yeah. All right. Cool. Okay. okay. So uh, when we're looking at um, students, what students take, so now this, this is what educators take away because this was in a sense a small, small part of my training uh, when I sort of did my Alliance degree. But when we're looking at what students take away, it's also the idea that social interactions and friendships can develop beyond people who are not from the same social, economic, and uh, racial or gender-based backgrounds as you. And this is extremely important, particularly, you know, Foucaultian sense, you know, when, when you look at uh, madness and civilization or the birth of the clinic, and particularly madness and civilization and how this idea of the outcast is also generated to ensure that when looking at positive social transformation, this idea of outcasts does not include too many people. In fact, there are, there are more people within society than we exclude from society, which is why inclusion becomes important. Um, you also kind of, uh, push yourself neurologically when you say, okay, I can learn new techniques of collaboration and getting things done. When I interact with somebody who perhaps might not, uh, might be able to manipulate and, and manipulate in a not positive or negative sense, but just tactilely manipulate something in a way different from mine. And I learn through that. I learn through somebody doing the same, achieving the same objective differently from my, how I achieved it. Okay. And, and that is something uh, to, to sort of, place within the context of education is that there is no single way of doing things. And I think that's an extremely important, particularly when we uh, were very grouchy and grumbly about the fact that our education um, methodology up to SSE all, always pushes us to kind of memorize and do things one way. And, um, and, and somewhere in higher education, the more inclusion you have, the more it pushes your comfort zone as well as students to do things differently. Um, within so then within the rights-based discourse, what we have is basically 
preparing them, preparing everybody who is in, in, involved in this, whether it's gender or whether it's race or whether it's language or it's caste, whether it's rural, urban, or it's persons with disabilities, to prepare them for full participation with respect to their social, civil, educational, economic, and political rights. So if you have to say now, connecting these two parts, which is basically what is inclusion in education theory and how does the rights-based discourse tie up into it, if you're supposed to have equality of opportunity, then you need, you have the right to the same kind of education that a person without disability has, or a person without exposure to the same linguistic system as you has. Okay. And in that sense, it, it levels the playing field for people. All right. Because if I'm supposed to live a life of dignity, then I can't be segregated and say, no, no, you can't belong to this classroom. This is a more general classroom. You have to go there. All right. So it's, it's the same story of how, say, perhaps in the past, uh, before sort of um, freedom or whatever it is, um, caste-based segregation happened in schools or race-based segregations, like uh, black persons, people of color had to go to a different school as opposed to white people, okay? Or people with a different caste were made to sit in a different section of the classroom and the teacher would only teach this section while talking to them, all right? And it's moving beyond that, except now with theory, you're including people with disability into this, and you're making more efforts as an educator to practice non-segregation within the classroom space, to make college or school a safe space. All right. And that's how it ties up into the rights-based issue. And I'm just going to read out a quote here from Richard Wilkinson and Kate Pickett, uh, who say, student performance behavior in educational tasks can be profoundly affected by the way we feel by the way we are seen and judged by others. When we expect to be viewed as inferior, our abilities seem to diminish. And in a sense, when we are viewed as inferior, meaning when we are viewed as not good enough for the mainstream, oh, aap aise ho, to aap yehi job kar sakte Okay? Um, oh, yo, I'm just kidding. This is just an example. Let's not take this out of context. If you're visually challenged, then how will you manipulate geometric in instruments or how will you draw your bar graphs or whatever? You better do arts only because then, you know, your, your jaws can read out a book for you and then you can write your own answers. Okay. Like essay type jam jayega. It's, it's that kind of segregation where you're told you're not good enough for the mainstream. And therefore your ability is again defined by what somebody in a position of power is telling you that, okay, you are only defined by this. These are your limitations. On a rights based in a rights based discourse, you cannot be doing that. You cannot diminish an individual's ability to fight for equality of opportunity because it is a right. All right. And education becomes a way to get that right for yourself. So now with inclusion today, what it extends to, according to UNESCO and UNICEF, uh, according to sort of UNICEF's 2007 report is ability, language, culture, gender and age and other forms of human difference should not stop you from collaboration or facilitation within educational institutions. Okay. Um, so I remember um, being a part of um, a sort of forum and uh, we were talking, this was um, with Action Aid and uh, the Maharashtra uh, State Women's Commission. Okay. Uh, this was two years ago. And uh, we were talking to one of the girls in the Bastis of Bandra. And what she said was, Hamesha, Hamesha padhai dehi jati hai. They always tell us ki, tum na parlor ke class kar lo, aapko parlor set up kar, uh, aap parlor set up kar do, thoda sa income mil jayega. And she goes like, why is it that whenever they see a person from the slums trying to gain social or economic mobility, particularly a female person, 
it always becomes about parlor khol do okay why does it never become about okay you can become a lab technician or you can go and study science or you can uh you know work at a bank it's never about that it's always about what is an easy business for you without using your brains okay start like start a parlor and she was quite infuriated by that and saying that this attitude within education is something that makes us feel excluded as students when we go into the classroom space because there is a perception from the educators end that when we sit in the classroom we're only doing this but just to get a degree just to kind of you know finish off ki ba kar diya and then we want to start something else anyway which of course which limits their social mobility but which is mentally stressful for them as well and this is something that educators often levy as judgments against students the moment they realize they're from certain classes um not often sometimes educators are extremely empathetic and i'm not generalizing whatever this is very interesting film if um people want to watch this film it's really nice it's called the class um in french it's called entre les murs within the walls and it's a real life experience turned into a film of uh, the writer is a person who taught french in the more rougher neighborhoods <laughs> of paris so these are where migrants are settled and where you have people who are second generation or third generation uh, immigrants in france and not of the same class background as we would see when we go as tourists you know and uh, he's talking to one of these students in the banlieues or the suburbs and what she says is uh, so he's teaching this tense called the sub he's teaching this mood called the subjunctive mood okay uh in english i'll just translate i'll just give an example uh which is if i were rich i would do this okay uh we don't usually say if i were rich i will do this we say i would do this so that's the subjunctive it's um it's in a sense uh, it's a more technically refined way of speaking in english and all of that the same thing you have it in french as well and he's making this super complicated sentence with a subjunctive and this girl from the rough neighborhood says listen nobody in my life has ever spoken like that and nobody in my life is ever going to speak like that so why are you making us memorize a system of information that is nowhere connected to how we live our reality okay and and that's where you see like this difference between a classical idea of what is the discourse and epistemology and pedagogy that you engage with in class because you have a logy next to your discipline you have you teaching a particular kind of science okay a particular kind of subject and your students are completely disconnected with what you're teaching and uh, what you realize over here is that we need something another technical term coming up a universal design for learning along with sort of inclusion and ieps you need udls now udls are universal designs for learning which basically what they do is set a universally accessible curriculum a curriculum that ensures that every child is included within the context of what you're setting as what needs uh, what what they are needed to be educated about and it's it's ironic sometimes that we often write like i i think i've corrected so many answer sheets permission like reference to context kya hai and i think pranoti ma'am also does this where she writes reference to context kya hai but often time syllabi when they introduce in the classroom you just have the teacher walking up and saying okay chapter 1 let's open this let's start this and there's no contextualizing to the students discourse as to why does this become important not just in the context of my discipline but also in the context of your learning and your real life experience later on all right for this however what you do need and what a lot of european countries have done to enhance the idea of exclusion okay is introduce support staff which is something that's always in paucity within the indian education system so what is this idea of support staff which is having teaching assistants having your sort of you know uh, tas or your 
uh, fellows who kind of come in and uh, take up some part of the responsibility and uh, in fact they become co-facilitators within the classroom space so um i remember one of my students teaching in uh france two french kids and what she said was it is if, if you have 30 students and if you have anything that requires group-based learning, which is something that we also do in our classes, you will always have one person circulating in class, taking charge of, it's not just the teacher, the teacher takes care of like the main needs of setting the program in place and all of that. But you do need people to surveil and ensure the facilitation is happening as effectively as it can, because there are going to be people who are left behind and this is when intervention is most required. Okay, and facilitation is most required. Um, so another way of incorporating inclusion apart from having support staff which is a logistical issue and a financial issue as well is ensuring that when the educator is curating materials for the classroom space they do it based on uh, looking at the demographic of the classroom if you have people of mixed race mixed caste different genders within the classroom space are we giving enough are we putting enough onus on who is getting incorporated into the syllabus? For example, if I'm teaching about segregation, if I'm teaching about racial injustice, I cannot have white only authors in my class uh, that are being used, the texts. They have to be incorporative. They have to be incorporative of different uh, genders as well. Uh, if I'm teaching feminism, I cannot have uh, an article written only by women, but if I'm teaching, like, sorry, only by men, if I'm teaching queer studies, I need to have queer authors writing things, but I also need to have men who've written on this. Okay, so that has to be inclusive as well to make sure that the student understands that people from their community, people from their background are capable of advancing in the field adequately to actually generate research and generate material and knowledge within this to say that it's worth something. Me doing this, me making this choice to be in this classroom can mean something because I'm learning something from a person of my own community who has engaged in this and gone that ahead. And we all need those kind of role models to look up to and they exist. It's just how the educator is curating this material at the end of the day. Okay. So yeah, um, what we now come to today then not is not just inclusive pedagogy, but also culturally responsive pedagogy. Okay. And, and that's where the shift now occurs in a sense. You. Of course, we've not completely achieved a certain level of egalitarian access when it comes to inclusive education with persons with disability, but we're on our way there. And therefore, we've transformed this idea, this positive social transformation now extends to being culturally responsive pedagogues as well. Okay. Um, the Now, when we come to this idea of the reason I've given you this whole background is to kind of all of us on social media are talking about online 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 okay and we're doing this online as we speak uh the moment we say inclusive pedagogy online jana hai to, uh like you know everybody's kind of jumping onto the bandwagon and saying right we need to do this we all need to have a physical presence on zoom by the way this is happening on zoom and youtube at the same time so here we are talking about this but there needs to be critical engagement with this idea as well um the there are two sides to this okay one we need to distinguish between what is uh, technology one minute, one minute. yeah uh, sorry uh, there's a technical error just give me a minute sure
Okay. So we cannot see uh, either of our uh, screens. But uh, are we audible? We are audible. Uh, well, our faces are not that important. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. I will. I will try to reset this. Sure. This live. Let uh, me know if you need anything from my end. Uh, I'm doing the best I can. My phone is in the balcony and I'm sitting inside the house. So that's the best I can do right now. No, no, the, yeah, it's fine. Uh, went wrong with it. Right, shall we? Yeah, you can continue. Shall we? Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, all right. So now we come to the part where we talk about online education in times of COVID. Okay, and we're looking at all of this history of inclusion and being culturally sensitive to uh, being sensitive to persons with disabilities, to race, gender, all of that. And saying, yes, education is a right. Education has to be inclusive. How do we deliver it? And in a space when we're saying, all right, let's all go online. Okay. What are the problems that can emerge and where we need to make the separation? All right. We need to understand that there is a difference between using technology in education versus education online. Okay. I can, to a certain extent, use technology in education. We've done that. A, a chalk and a board is technology. Okay. It is a tool. Um, the same way that a YouTube video that I sent to you guys before I start a unit is a tool. It's an educational technology. Shifting online means taking your entire semester or half your semester online, which is um, it, it creates a set of exigences or uh, something that you require, absolutely require to be a part of the education system, which means the onus is on you to provide this for yourself so that the educator finds it easy to deliver things to you. Now, in the rights-based discourse and inclusion discourse, the onus has been on the educator to make sure you feel included. Okay. The moment I say, let's shift online, the onus becomes on the person to actually turn up for classes in terms of like to have the technology to turn up for education, which is not always possible. So we're going to be looking at different layers of this. Um, one is that um, a physical classroom helps hide certain things okay um i think in, in sort of schools it's often justified that you have the idea of a uniform of course we you and i as social students might look at it differently we go like oh my god it's disciplining the body it's biopower this that and the other okay. and it is true it is um the way uniforms are structured they're repressive of women's sexuality of uh, you know treating boys and men differently in terms of half pant to full pant transition come hota hai. um you know ground pick up and all of that but a uniform also hides a person's class. class. It also allows for that judgment to be lessened <laughs> in some regard. Okay. So the same way that a classroom space, because it's a collective common space that it's shared by 80 people or 40 people or whatever number of persons you have in class, it is allowing for that inclusion, compassion, interaction to occur because it hides the physical reality of where you're coming from. Okay. And that is a safe space. And that safe space is taken away from a lot of students, particularly those that come from, say, uh, 
backgrounds that uh, societal aspiration does not always look at very positively okay um aspiration in the sense ki you have to be a certain way you have to aspire to like a certain level of productivity a certain level of economic ease all of that and also for people who come from abusive households that classroom becomes an extremely safe space for people who come from uh, yes. domestically violent households and that is being taken away so when you shift online you're taking over a very very important component of community enterprise that is existing that has been in existence for a very long time for students okay um you're also looking at uh, if so, i may add something so how do yeah sure sure uh, the the point you made about uh, uh, taking it online and it just reminded me that you know how in most of our social anthro classes we were very uh, how do i say that? very liberal we were very open in our speech but we would not be able to do that yeah. if if classes would uh, be online and uh, that would to some right. extent uh, dampen the quality it reduce the quality of the classes much much Absolutely. more than one can imagine and uh, because most of the points people made was about their family and that and it was quite hilarious Absolutely. in the classroom setting but here it would just be scary and uh, yes. that's just the point i wanted to add i mean imagine this like already as teenagers again most of us most of us are something uh let's just hope i say that way uh even when i'm 50 but most of us as most of you guys as teenagers are also in a space where genuinely who gets along with their parents in their teenage okay and you're being and that college becomes like a safe space for you guys to just be along with all its constraints and everything that exists and that safe space of bonding with people who have the same angst of rebellion as you do is taken away from you in a sense and that's also where you to use the term that you guys use in class sab ghar ki badas wahan pe nikalti hai nikalti hai sorry sab ghar ki badas wahan pe nikalti hai that goes away as a safe space as well forget about the extremes where it's domestic uh, abuse and where it's you know you have a patriarchal family you don't have access to technology or oh, i remember one of these other incidences also if i can just kind of diverge a little from that uh one of the girls in the basti was telling me ki uh when it comes to controlling a woman's behavior right the first thing that you're told as, as a guy if you have a girlfriend in a basti it's quite okay but if you're living in a basti and you're a girl and you're told you accidentally also get discovered with a guy walking down the street the first thing your parents threaten you with is tumhara cell phone le lenge okay koi phone nahi milega tumhe bahar nahi jane ka now in that situation when you're having classes online and you have your attendance quota and all of that because that's regulated by law that's not something that you can do much about how do you include a person of gender into this when the system is against them as well in a sense okay when the first thing that she gets threatened with to behave as opposed to a male student is that your phone is going to get taken okay and and that's something that we don't think about when we say are sabke paas smartphone to hota hai aajkal but you're not looking at whose access to the smartphone is controlled through this idea of biopower because of patriarchy okay um another thing another interesting thing sort of sort of also came about when uh, i was speaking to one of my um sort of mentors when i was a school kid she taught me english and then um she used to teach psychology um and uh, sort of education at uh, sndt a long time ago and she told me in my household ओके व्हेन आई वाज ग्रोइंग अप और सबके पास ये कहानी है एक तो कहानी होगी ऐसी वेयर योर पेरेंट्स आर टेलिंग यू हमारे पास जब टीवी होता था तो वो ब्लैक एंड व्हाइट होता था हम हाथ नहीं लगा पाते थे उसको ओके टीचर्स देमसेल्व्स हैव ग्रोन अप विद नॉट हैविंग एक्सेस टू टेक्नोलॉजी वन टू दे हैव डिफरेंशियल एक्सेस व्हाइल ग्रोइंग अप सो वुमेन हैड एक्सेस डिफरेंटली टू टेक्नोलॉजी विद इन देयर सेम हाउसहोल्ड 
and she said something very interesting papa ke paas remote hota tha and in a lot of households papa ke paas remote hota hai okay it is sort of in a sense the male of the household who controls who used to say 40 50 years ago when the tv came in it was expensive if you turned a knob differently in some random direction and it broke you didn't have a television set for 2 years after that okay or you had to pay a huge amount to get it fixed and uh, which meant that you didn't have entertainment for 2 weeks here we have a broken screen or whatever we make do with a broken screen if if we have a broken button we know that for 100 rupees to 200 rupees it's replaceable okay technology is easy and easy to utilize and i've seen a lot of educators who are slightly older than me grow up with this fear of technology one is the fear of technology because of how they grew up with technology which is ye toot gaya to bahut expensive hone wala hai we're not going to get access to technology like that. okay and that's something that's an attitude that's been set in them because of the fear that they had the second thing is of course slightly more negative wherein you have this whole generation of people that you that have told their children tum screen pe kitna time spend karte ho yaar okay you're always on your phone and, and now suddenly it's a generation that's grappling with having to use their phone to keep their jobs okay or having to learn certain technologies to keep their jobs relevant not keep their jobs they'll keep their jobs but to keep their jobs relevant okay and therein your balance between fear and an attitudinal change that is required because we you and i were used to pressing buttons we're used to kind of navigating we're used to doing undo reset restart your phone and everything falls into place okay this is not a generation that's used to this and secondly at the philosophical and ethical level this is a generation that's always told us to not excessively use our screens and here they are having to switch to that about 7 hours a day or 5 hours a day all right so this is from the educator side it's also from the gender side that we spoke of uh we are also looking at who else gets excluded within this course and one of these is if i may just one sec seat to open it all right we're looking at different limitations of devices multiple kind of devices now if we have lectures online um how are we recording or storing these lectures not everybody has access to sort of particularly when we look at students who've gone back to their homes in slightly more peri urban or rural areas they might not have access to 3g or 4g okay they might not have access to 4g they might have access to 3g it might not be consistent when you're looking at that are you looking at um, everybody has a smartphone but what capabilities does that smartphone have can it store lectures can it store say you have 20 lectures a week 20 hours worth of data or say 15 hours worth of data consistently every week if you miss it okay um you're also looking at of course electricity you're looking at therefore i mean this then the onus of paying the electricity bill to keep your phone charged to have a wifi connection all of this is now on the family it's not so much about the child coming into the uh space of uh you know the college the enclosed space of college where the government is providing some element of this another thing is uh equitable access to materials the internet is linguistically skewed in terms of uh availability of research not being high in regional languages so the moment you don't have access to lectures consistently you're looking at at least secondary material being available to you but even that is not available then you have a bit of a problem okay in fact just today we um, i was reading times of impact on the front page bottom section about 1.2 lakh students who migrated back to their hometowns um don't seem like they'll come back by the time i mean july end because they barely just about managed to go home to their safe spaces and um 
the TOI said that about 72% of these students will not make it back. And this was a BMC education officer who did the study. And 72% of that, even if we take 50% of that, that comes to 60,000 students. 60,000 students not making it back to school for an academic year is not inclusive. Okay. So starting it, how do you start off a year in August or July end when these are barely, these, these are people who barely made it back home. Okay. Um, you know, in, in sort of upper class households to middle to upper class households, you would have this idea of a gap year, but a gap year is a, is a, is a certain privilege that sort of, you know, it's, it's an experimental leisure that some people can have. Not all of them have that. Some of them have to definitely join the labor market to have that equality of opportunity that we talked about is a right. Okay. Um, when we talk of sort of the original idea of sort of, let's, let's, sorry, I'll just finish the migration point in terms of, you know, uh, people already to go from the city to their towns have taken up to a week to get police permission to get kind of trains back home and all of that. And in a sense, how do we see them returning for exams or returning for the next academic year to start if we don't give them adequate notice? Now, of course, uh, urban conclaves have access to technology. They can do their exams online or whatever it is. Even for us today, when we were doing the setup call, I was, since yesterday, because of the storm that happened and the fact that network in my area has been really bad, the amount of stress I had in my head to make sure that I have network for this talk was extremely high. So can you imagine put exams into the equation where you have marks where our Indian system is fascinated with grades and getting good marks. Can you imagine the stress that goes into the parents also parents minds also to make sure that their kid has a smartphone available to them or a computer available to them to say that okay fine no 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 exams online kar lenge, ho Nahi hoga because your students are dealing with a different kind of stress altogether at that okay or and I think the biggest stress yeah. the, the biggest stress would be you know wi-fi should be very stable and I, yes. I have a Wi-Fi right now and I'm telling you, it just goes off at any point. And say you're giving an online exam. If it Absolutely. shuts down, you can't yeah. reconnect to it most of the time because then the, the system will consider it as cheating. And Absolutely. you're screwed. You can't do anything about yeah. it then. Absolutely. And, and the, so the board will not be on to that. They won't be like, huh, okay, we don't, we don't necessarily believe you. Absolutely. 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 So how do you include a child's narrative? How do you include a student's narrative? when they're being genuinely in a space where they don't have the technological setup to do this. In fact, I mean, even in larger educational institutions that are non-privatized, you half the time technology does not work in class, okay, or in classes, any institution. I'm not talking about one in particular. I work in private institutions where it does not work either sometimes, okay? So if within the institution, technology does not have a 120% guarantee, Okay, if it works at a 90% guarantee, what are you doing about the 10% of students also who might have the same issue? Okay, and that's something that we need to consider when we're talking with inclusion. Um, another thing that we're talking about in terms of now going back to the first point that I started off with, which is special needs students. Um, special needs students have facilities that are established within college because these are tech heavy facilities. These are technology used. These are facilities that use technology to give them access to materials that make their life easier and bring them up to the same level uh, in terms of access. Access, okay? Um, you have reading software for visually challenged people. You have, uh, imagine if a, a person who is deaf is trying to watch a video that you send them as class material with subtitles and the video is pixelated because of the speed, what are they going to understand? Forget about pixelated subtitles. How are they able to lip read? Okay. All of this is 
another thing when you have a special needs child who needs the paper read out it means that the parent has to be with the child while the paper is being given online also okay if your phone is not equipped to have that kind of software or if you if you borrowed a neighbor's laptop that is in a different regional language or whatever okay and you're trying to read that paper who is going to read that paper out for you who is going to type out your answer for you all of these are or who's even for that matter type out your assignment forget answer forget about exams okay who's going to type out your assignment for you if your parents are not educated and you're the first generation of children to get educated within your household how are you going to complete an assignment you might ask your parents assignment type kar sakte ho and they won't know how to do it and can you imagine what goes on as as uh, as an emotional dynamic in that family when a child is not able to be helped by their parents by no fault of theirs okay um so a lot of children with special needs depend on tech heavy facilities that cost a lot of money to invest in that come from different sort of private enterprises and the government as well to support their education and you move online and you say ghar se padhai kar lo all of these facilities become inaccessible or at least 70 to 80% of these facilities become inaccessible to these children okay um for example if i'm using a powerpoint presentation to teach you guys things that is super heavy on the graphics how do i deliver this to a child with visual impairment who is watching it from home okay and and can i send this and if they miss that class can i send this material out as something that needs to be sort of you know okay you consume it i've made the ppt maine ppt email kar diya hai na aapke paas to material hai okay that's one more thing and this is where educational technologies and learning techniques of collaborative collaborative learning and the onus on the educator to make material accessible and inclusive are of utmost importance um another thing that this also does that i've seen more and more happening that it, it is a very some sort of thing is that we have moved towards a dependency on privatized education and one of those reasons is we've already seen the private sector charge a lot more for their classes initially and therefore they're able to seg their way into using technology within the classroom space quite easily okay and this is also true of your higher ranking institutes like your iits and iims which get far more money uh, and and which have far more money and resources than your average aided institute okay um so when you're looking at the buying of technological setups from private enterprises to sustain the academic calendar you again have differential access because different teachers will be able to access this differently that's one different students will be able to access this differently which means necessarily that colleges that have the money to afford that kind of technological setup will buy into it but a lot of regional colleges a lot of uh, less aided colleges or the colleges that receive less grants will not be able to have that kind of support structure for their students and honestly their students need it more in a sense okay so inclusion is an easy way in a it's an easy word to sort of throw around but when you're looking at all of these dynamics um you're sort of uh limiting when you say okay let's all shift online covid hai online kar ho jayega to sabke paas material hoga it's not going to end up being that way okay and i i remember this um one of my neighbors kids in fact they just live across the road from me and he missed i think uh two or three classes out of five classes because his uh mother had to report for work you know that 10% or 15% of office staff that is reporting for work okay she had to report for work uh his father is based out of town and he missed those classes because there is no other smartphone in the house one because you can't buy a smartphone during lockdown okay um and and get it set up and all of that 
and two because his mother had to take her smartphone to work till then she was adjusting by giving him the smartphone while she was around in the house on every alternate day okay which means if you're particularly looking at school based education kids who don't have smartphones of their own and a lot of parents who grown up saying nahi nahi till they're 18 i'm not going to give them a smartphone or till they're 16 i'm not going to give them a smartphone are suddenly left in the lurch not everybody has multiple devices okay teachers come from a different background sometimes where we have a laptop we have a cell phone okay so we have two black mirrors in front of us not everybody has multiple screens in their house somebody is just functioning with one screen and we need to acknowledge that as well all right um and we often kind of uh, sort of think that you know they can pick things up later and what not of course uh, um, it it's not always possible to pick things up later because the context of a classroom is very different now going from online to offline let's look at physical presence and discipline as an educator i've seen people eating in class they're tweeting in class from the first bench and the last bench out of a class of 90 students there are going to be 10 people who are completely distracted there are going to be 20 people who are completely distracted i think most of our life is based on saying 70 people are taking away something from what i'm saying good enough it's been a good day okay uh disengaged and disinterested audiences are everywhere it depends on your daily mood honestly it depends on uh, if you've had a good day or a good morning or if you've had a terrible morning you come into class your atm lectures for us uh, in a bad mood and you try to switch your mood as much as possible even when there is a paid event that you choose to go to you might come to a day when you say i might have paid a really a large amount of money for this event but i don't want to attend it anymore and you might switch off during that event that is normal okay um but what you have to understand is that within this framework of course when we switch to zoom and all of that in a class of 90 you're going to have those 10 20 people who will put a photograph of themselves in front of the computer and go and eat something or you know whatever as educators we've also done that for a lot of webinars uh so i mean this idea of pick things up later is possible for somebody with what burdia calls cultural capital if i know how to speak english if i know how to do my research online with libgen and sihab and uh, jstor and if i have uh, access to all of that if i can read a diction if i can uh, sort of you know uh, read a certain kind of language that my journal article is written in if i can understand a certain sort of te- technical uh, theory that is being taught to me because of my linguistic capability because of my background because of a support structure at home papa ne math sikha to papa math sikha sakte hain if there's a gap in that if all of that exists then i can pick things up later if i don't have any of that those physical disciplined lectures become crucial for my education to give me that access to equality of opportunity and with recession already looming you have with online classes people who will have very different takeaways from these degrees and these degrees act as symbolic capital they act as mobility markers and in that situation who is going to make the most economically and socially in terms of the job market by taking away that online education degree that they have and these are questions that we need to be asking because often times and this is what rashmi rangarajan says in uh, the article that she wrote for the wire recently in april uh she says according to unesco education policy is significantly influence collective thinking and practice uh however what we look at is more and more these um sort of uh there are several drawbacks to these approaches of formulation implementation monitoring evaluation and reformulation which often has a top down approach to policy process which means upar 
इंक्लूजन एक बज वर्ड बन गया इंक्लूजन सब में डाल दो कन्विंस पीपल एवरीथिंग दैट दे डूइंग इज फॉर इंक्लूजन ओके अरे नहीं इंक्लूजन के लिए ऐसे ऑनलाइन जाना पड़ेगा बट द थिंग इज यू नॉट थिंकिंग थ्रू दिस बिकॉज यू नॉट consulted and asked the stakeholders which is basically within a school system or in uh, or a college system you have your teachers you have your students you have the families of students and a lot of students we don't become adults at 18 okay in india we do not like we're sure where you have universal adult franchise but uh, it's not a setup where we move away from our family homes at 16 and then start living independently with roommates and all of that not everybody does that so families are important stakeholders even in college education ngos enterprises researchers uh lab technicians all of these are people who need to be included in education policy to make the delivery of education particularly on a rights based approach more well intentioned empathetic compassionate and inclusive so at the end of the day what this is about and i'm going to sort of um sum it up is uh what we talk about in a rights based discourse and inclusion now is about three steps acknowledging that difference exists accepting these differences celebrating and welcoming these differences as well and that is the onus of the education system so the idea is that teaching and learning should not stop your policy should not move you towards a negative social transformation where teaching and learning stops because simply there is a difference in the background from which the child or the student is coming into your system and you need to be cognizant of that so yeah with that i end my pravachan of this trip uh so yeah any any questions challenging there was just this part where you mentioned physical presence and it reminded me that education is not uh, like okay there's a teacher on the front she's going to just blab or something yeah. and then she'll write something on the board you write it down you go home and you study oh. yeah that's it that's not what education is uh, especially in the right. humanities in the science it's a bit more rigid yeah. but in the humanities it's not how it happens if you do that you don't get marks we know right most people know Absolutely. that from your from your class <laughs> and ouch <laughs> it's fine yeah. you give me good marks <laughs> and so education is a, a social event at the end of the day i mean you look at a concert people are doing online okay. concerts now but it's not that fun because most people go to for for concerts to be with their friends and like you know the brand value okay but okay. staying at home and looking at a concert on your pc is not a social event it's not very fun it's just like okay you're not going to do the yeah. dance and all that stuff you're not going to you know be uh, comfortable or open and that's how it happens with education as well you're not going to be uh, open and that's very crucial because if you're not uh, open you cannot uh, think clearly you're not uh, uh, analyzing the material you're given and then it's just passive uh, uh taking in of what's going on uh like uh, the person Absolutely. is and, and sometimes it's not even going to be live the way we are live right now so there can be interaction some teachers yeah. might just record and send it Absolutely. and then you have to just watch and then they'll be like if you Absolutely. have questions ask me but no one ask questions because one they forget okay. two they're just shy or something or they're lazy and it just Absolutely. takes out this interacting Absolutely. part and i have seen from all our classes so far in the humanities that interaction is yeah. super important yeah. and that's exactly why our classes are never never lectures they are mostly like a conversation of yeah. 70 90 people and Absolutely. i don't even know how we do Absolutely. that but it's very crucial it's 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 fun and you will learn something Absolutely and even in that sense you know passivity is something that you need to take on board like if the conversation is passive in a sense that 20 people are not interested in conversation out of 90 that is feedback for you in a sense how to reach out to those 20 people as well 
sometimes you can't reach out to 10 of those come what may but for 10 you can make that extra effort okay and, and another thing is that because it's a conversation you need to sort of start experimenting online by saying how can i have more collaborative student to student activities where they can just pick up a phone talk discuss note down certain things and send these in so it's not just about sort of going online but rather using technology to communicate effectively as to how they can collaborate better with each other and this is something that i learned from alliance as well and this is something that uh, sridhar ayer talks about in his uh, sort of course on online uh, sort of in in technologies and teaching uh, and uh, what he says is basically how can you uh, what are the tools and mechanisms and devices you can use to increase collaboration between students that don't require your physical presence on the screen as you're talking to them okay you give them an activity you give them a group and this is something from alliance now where i'm coming in um you give them an activity and you say right you don't need to be on screen for this you can just go off into your own space take like three or four of your friends or take two or three classmates call up talk about this share your readings uh at the same time however because of physical distancing now which is an issue that is something that needs to be overcome but we need to gear activities towards a technology that is more accessible and the screen a zoom or instagram live is not always accessible and that onus lies on us somewhere in terms of uh, coming up with that creativity and and i think it also lies in us taking a step back as educators and saying we're more facilitators of education rather than professors okay and 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 academia has this sort of um, attachment to these tags that it gives us in a sense and we kind of grow into these attachments as well sometimes not all of us grow into it some of us do some of us don't um and that's where now i kind of keep saying that we need to look at the idea of educators and facilitators rather than professors because professors moving online is always going to be a top down approach but if you say facilitators of education or educators moving online it's going to ensure that with that kind of label we push ourselves to be a little more uh, inclusive by democratizing or understanding what democratized technology means in terms of access for our students as well so yeah Uh, I think the biggest problem with uh, uh, this online uh, trend of going online and doing online classes is that the teachers are not adequately trained or like do not have sufficient uh, uh, background in one technology to you know not uh, getting feedback because on online classes you're most likely not going to get feedback and that yeah. makes it really difficult for them to teach and, uh, and most of them are threatened by this idea of online classes the way you mentioned at the start and for good reason it is quite complicated as a lot of things to it and uh, uh, i remember right. you and pranati ma'am both were quite uh, concerned about how this live thing would go on because uh, uh, right. have to be uh, how it is going to happen uh, you were quite curious about right. how it happens on youtube and uh, right. i had to explain the stuff and uh, most people right. don't have access to that and uh, currently i am yeah. uh, <clears throat> helping this uh, so in my parish we are having these uh, classes for uh, children and uh, Uh, right. We're doing it online. It, it happens every year. It's called confirmation. It's like a part of Christianity, and uh, okay. the teachers were very threatened when we uh, proposed the idea of online classes. They're like, "It's fine. We can delay right. it," and we can't exactly delay it because we don't see hopes of the lockdown uh, getting lifted at yeah. any reasonable date. And uh, right. they were very threatened by the idea of online classes till we explained right. the whole thing to them and. Uh, uh that they don't have to do much but you don't see this happening everywhere people or not all uh, teachers are going to have access to uh, say people who know how to do this Absolutely. and that makes Absolutely. it quite uh, difficult for teachers to uh, be uh, to do all this online Absolutely. class stuff 
Absolutely, agreed completely. One is the fact that um, differential access has been given to us as we've grown up as well. Uh, we all, in a sense, within an educational institution, belong to different generations too. Uh, some more open to experimenting. Age does not determine how age absolutely does not determine how open you are to experimenting with technology. But there are certain fear factors that do come in in terms of how you've been trained to look at technology is going to be something of a hurdle that you need to overcome somewhere. Okay. Um, the thing is with uh, me particularly, the advantage that I found was that I started experimenting with different forums. So I did Zoom was the first thing that I did in terms of connecting with students. Okay. Um, then I went on Instagram Live, and even now, as I'm doing the session with you, I'm already getting feedback in terms of what is missing and what is better. Okay, one is that my focus on what I'm conversing with you is better on this forum, which is Zoom via YouTube, because I'm not distracted by comments. Okay, there's no commenting, live commenting section that is in here that I am distracted by. Okay, one of the other things that I learned was having a moderator is essential because if i am the only person on screen i guarantee you no influencer can sustain a 50 minute video of just themselves okay of influencer quote unquote okay but at the same time when it's a dialogue it's a debate students are more intrigued by the simple reason okay it's a normal sort of human tendency what are those two folks talking about here? let me just check that out okay um, so in a sense, it's slightly more engaging. That's that's one little cracking thing that comes in. And however, Instagram Live gives me instant feedback. Instant questions. So as I'm talking, I can respond to that, which is not possible here. You're giving me the feedback, but essentially it's my conversation with you as opposed to my conversation with 45 people on an IG Live. Okay. Um, and Zoom has different things that it does. Like it has the raise hand thing. It has the, you know, you can... I, I recently learned that you can turn off person-to-person -person conversation in a Zoom chat window, which means if they if they're chatting, only chatting with me in this Complete window. Surveillance. But I also know that if yeah, but I also know that you have two other screens available to you to chat, which means you can switch between Zoom and WhatsApp on your mobile phone, text on WhatsApp, which is something that you would do in class anyway. By the way, so yeah, I mean, and and this is a space where educators particularly need to just start picking up technologies and experimenting and saying let me try this out i need to commit myself to four hours on the screen and figure out different things okay and what i've seen so far is that students are finding this extremely long gap to be slightly strange like victor turner would call it a liminal space mm -hmm. and a liminal space that has stretched for too long so you have too much anti-structure that is happening, too much a-structure or structural breakage that's happening between an academic year and the next. And students are willing to engage with this. And the idea is just to start engaging them on different platforms. So by the time it comes to actual teaching, you are prepared and you know the different advantages and different disadvantages of the forums that you are on. Whether it is Zoom, whether it is YouTube or it's InstaLive or it's Google Classroom, you're aware of what the shortcomings are. It's not just it's not adequate to learn about this in theory saying ki ye char platform hai. start using them and otherwise you're not going to like i mean this the, the fact that i'm looking into a camera i can see your face i'm distracted by your face in general but if i'm looking at your face i'm not looking at the camera which means i'm not making eye contact and eye contact is the essential element of the physical classroom which develops empathy and through which you're getting instant feedback like this which is not happening i mean it's happening in this situation but overwhelmingly, if I have 40 people on the screen, it is not going to happen with everyone. In a classroom, it's a little better.
So yeah, that physical distance is also something that needs to be overcome, but that can happen with consistent engagement with technology and consistent engagement by simulating our classroom space before the classroom actually has to be shifted online. So yeah. Uh, going back to this point you had made about uh, uh, exams and uh, the next ac academic year and uh, that's still yeah. that's still another story because uh, for those who have <clears throat> the next academic year available to them that can always be delayed right. for example our classes can be postponed yeah. our exams can be uh, cancelled our uh, academic year can yeah. be shifted but then there are third year students who have to give their final exam and uh, right. <clears throat> there's this whole it's it's really funny. You should check Twitter. It's it's hilarious. Uh, the CM announced that one, one yeah. space that I avoid because I call it the void. <laughs> void it's really of funny. Uh, waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, the, go the on. The CM announced that <clears throat> there will be no exams for the final year, and then the governor comes and he's right. like, uh, it's going to affect their uh, future. So uh, I request you not to cancel it. And then there was this feud of people going and uh, uh, tweeting why you're yeah. ruining our lives and all that stuff. And uh, that yeah. is one thing, but uh, uh, the other thing is, as you said, uh, people have gone back home and uh, they will not be able to access, not all of them will be able to access or come back to give exams if it is online. If it's offline, then I don't even know how that's going to happen. But say if it's online, right. not everyone is going to be able to access and that's going to be where, say even if one person can't access completely, it's it not fair. It's, yeah. it's not fair at all. It's because not it's not a good idea. their fault. It's not their fault. Yeah, the pandemic their fault. is not their fault. The, the government restrictions are not their fault. So yeah, and 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 this is where I think we're moving away from inclusion when we look at policy making that is that has a top down approach. Whether you take the governor or you take the CMO, it's, it doesn't matter. It's a top down approach because your and and all these problems that I told you are day to day problems. This is this is not some grand theorizing. This is literally a mother talking to a child and going smartphone ka problem hai. You know, it's a daily issue. It's a very practical um, sort of experiential learning that we need to look at. And, you know, both sides are right. And you have to understand that adults are also dealing with the situation for the first time. Like they have no parameter of understanding. So as your academic year is rolling on, as your non-academic year is rolling on, adults are also engaging in these discussions for the first time in terms of what are the legal consequences of say a lawyer not giving their third semester, sorry, their third year exams, a doctor not giving their third year exams, or an art student not giving their third year exams. So the thing is, one of the arguments was ex-students, not current students, was that, are arts ke liye to cancel kar sakte na exams, like arts and science ke liye to cancel kar sakte na, BSc degree and BRP, and BCom also. I mean, don't give, not for professional courses, but for these courses. And I'm like, if you expect the same amount of importance for the labor market to give your degree, then you need to be okay with the same level of rigor, okay, that is put into checking that degree as a degree itself, okay, then that's, that's the ethical connotation also. And these are conversations that we're starting to have right now, we don't have these prepared and planned in place, which is what is causing this sort of, you know, um, discursive debate that is happening online, unfortunately, online instead of happening at, at forums and whatnot. And unfortunately on Twitter, because Twitter gives you only 280 characters like went into the void, so to speak. So there's a lot of room for non-nuanced, uh, uh, non-layered, uh, polarizing arguments to take place over there. And and a lot of ego issues are vented out on that forum is what I feel. So, yeah. Uh, what I think is that- uh, Very entertaining uh, though. Very, very entertaining, yeah. I must say. Uh, I, I will go back to another point that, uh, uh, the whole concept of experiential learning is going to uh, 
be affected to a huge extent in this because uh, like take a very simple example uh, in school we had like uh, uh, science uh, uh, lab where you could go and do experiments yeah. and all that stuff you can't do that now and yeah. uh, because more those things require to require you to yeah. use those equipments and yeah. and make errors that's how you yeah. learn you you Absolutely. do it wrong a lot of times and then you get okay that's how i should do it and you, and uh, say if i talk about humanities uh, you can't sit at home and do ethnography i mean yeah, you cannot you cannot, you cannot. Uh, or, in fact or anthropology or development policy making for that matter our whole approach to policy making and policy learning about development policy is ground up you should yeah. be on a special uh, look out for next year papers for ethnography and see how many people mention yeah. covid 19 and their home situations because yes, that's all absolutely. that people the experiential learning people's get, uh, people people are getting and that's what they want to mention mostly absolutely absolutely no agree and i think the only scope that leaves for in a sense ethnography is uh virtual ethnography or uh, visual ethnography because you're all you're going to be studying is going to be online material however there is going to be a space for some ethnographies to come out of say people who are locked down without technologies to be or without constant access to online learning to talk about their neighborhoods <laughs> uh for example if a neighborhood is excessively populated thankfully i mean I, i'm saying thankfully but i live in a neighborhood which allows me to physically distance okay but there are neighborhoods which don't allow you to physically distance and however i can still do an ethnography by making it into a very micro feed what that does is however bring that ethnographer's bias into writing about my own culture effectively i'm just studying what is around me in my immediate surrounding there, there is no so ethnography as a as anthropology as a discipline will also have to deal with this changing of the idea of the field we've always seen this field as a colonial construct of like yahan pe bahar jaake koi exotic population ko study karna hai and suddenly yeah exactly tribal islands or like you know uh most tribals do those weird dances and it's always this fetishized idea of the village or 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 the forest and now suddenly you have um, the ability to do an ethnography within a microcosm where you always live the only thing is that usually the demographics of a microcosm are always polarizing to your own bias to your own advantage uh, and that's somewhere where the ethnographer's sort of reflexivity will be challenged even more when you define the field that way so yeah we could we could i think the i think the discipline is capable of transforming itself i have a very positive view of the discipline perhaps but i think it's capable of transforming itself into a very uh, differently non-colonial version somewhere in terms of the changing of the idea of the field itself and uh, the doing of the ethnography itself and the ethnographic to some extent and yet i think also uh, the, you could say you could call it a justification of the changing of the field <laughs> the idea of the field so yeah could be that <laughs> depends again depends on your cultural capability your cultural capacity to manipulate linguistics in a manner that suits your writing style as well so yeah all right we will head to yeah. the uh, youtube uh, uh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, dylan writes um, are there any models that you have come across that might be suitable for uh, for something as very for a country that's as varied as india uh, as far as education goes not particularly uh, no there is no singular model as such that i have come across i can just say that ict or interactive um in, um sorry um uh, ict information communicative technologies are something that need to be incorporated slowly uh into what we call universal uh design university design learning and uh, somewhere this is dependent on the regions 
and at the same time we need to have sort of um the ability to not joke so sort of it's it shouldn't be like a knee jerk reaction to say let's go online but we need to figure out what online should mean uh, for students and what technology should mean for students uh, what access to this to mean so we need to make that difference first before we start looking at models you can't you can't pitch india as one nation in terms of educational background because your ssc board is only maharashtra limited your other states have their other boards as well and then you have multiple other layers of aspirational boards where ib and igcsc go to the richest of the rich who can afford the sort of you know as a fees so it's difficult to use one model to kind of make uh, education accessible but you need to look at uh, sort of the government and sort of education ministries and uh, what we're looking at in terms of uh, uh, hrd ministry also needs to be more engaged with what is uh, a holistic curriculum what is a universal design learning curriculum and how syllabi are formulated to be geared towards sort of you do have online platforms you do have swayam and you have a bunch of other sort of you know diksha and all of that they exist but how many students will have uh, consistent access to these so this is this idea of access needs to be looked at and you can't constantly look at private enterprise saying okay jio ka sim card le lo access mil jayega idea le lo sim like access mil jayega nahi hota hai you're looking at different logistical problems of uh, people from different economic backgrounds it's just too difficult to have one singular model so yeah and i, I honestly think, think educators need to be more sensitive to this yeah yeah, yeah i think uh, it honestly boils down to uh, the institutions or the education uh, yeah. facilitators who are managing it uh, because they need Absolutely. to know who they are catering it to and uh, uh, who Absolutely. are a part of that group or what they are teaching like if they are teaching something that requires memory how are you uh, a- evaluating it be making it abs- accessible yeah. but say something it's something like math or code uh like coding yeah. is really difficult because a single error can make the whole thing go uh, out of place and uh, yeah. it becomes especially difficult when uh, you are uh, uh say visually challenged or have some uh, have special needs uh and say you're putting it online yes. say you're putting it on a website and you have to access it there and that becomes even more difficult Absolutely. because most of these websites are not meant for uh, are not specifically designed uh, uh for yes. people who have special needs they don't take accessibility on, into account some people Absolutely. have uh, uh blurred vision and all that stuff and it makes it really Absolutely. difficult for them so and, we need to keep that in mind imagine if you're somebody who depends on your phone's audio to give you feedback about what's happening on it and so many of us have those headphone jacks that you know one headphone works the other one doesn't work two we have broken screens okay and we make our um, technology function with that and we don't have to constantly go to the repair guy to get it fixed okay in a situation where you're in a space where repair shops are not particularly working or have long queues outside and you're dependent on your phone to kind of constantly have good audio and the audio goes off because there's some kind of glitch or error in your uh, circuit okay what are you going to do of course the stress is going to be higher for you than anyone with full functioning ability to see the material on your phone and and that's something or, or your laptop for that matter and that's something that we need to think about when we think of uh you know how many students are going to turn up how often for online education so yeah okay the next question is uh, if you can share them could you share your opinions on how the ugc 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 university and our college xavier's has uh, responded as institution so far when it comes to education policy in times of the current crisis right so um honestly i could only respond to the fact that what we're doing right now 
in terms of as far as i know is preparing educators and exposing them to different kinds of technology technologies and online education setups and starting to sort of broaden the scope of what we can engage with in terms of educators with our students but that is all we can do because we're limited by uh the law we're limited by ugc guidelines to say we can only do this much at this point of time and right now as far as i see with uh sort of my my closest family working in the medical profession is that we're, we're looking at being in the center of the pandemic when we don't even have a curve that's descending yet okay so it's increasing uh, drastically it's increasing quite drastically absolutely it is and on top of that um if you're looking at the numbers that are coming out in terms of deaths also deaths are also the same which means waterborne diseases are going to go up which means our public health care system is going to be more taxed now with leptospirosis diarrhea dysentery all of that uh that come in with this uh so we need to uh what we're looking at an increasing curve or at least a curve that's not going down at any point of time soon and in that situation to look at physical distancing in classroom spaces working on the infrastructure within a city okay within a city that has no scope for physical expansion anywhere how are we going to engage with our students and these are still conversations that we are having and it's the same guys okay empathy required here it's the same as your group projects imagine putting seven or eight of you i'm not even saying all 90 of you in one little group project okay seven or eight of you in one group project you're going to take time to come to a consensus on what is the theme that you're going to treat uh which person is going to deal with which part what are going to be the questions that the teacher might ask you and therefore you might respond a certain way what is the discourse you're going to bring into that presentation of yours all of that takes time that, which is why you give like a month to prepare for a group presentation or at least 3 weeks to prepare for a group presentation and you're looking at an entire uh well, let's take a conservative college set up any college i'm not talking about ours or whatever of 3000 students you're dealing with the academic lives of 3000 students with at least 200 faculty members and other support staff that comes in it's not always easy to have a conversation and i think at least the process of having a conversation through training some minimal training has started and putting backup systems in place uh but at the same time it's not something it's not a instant one stop solution mil jayega sabko to like you know one fine day everything goes back to 100% now even trust me even when i if we are to start if this is a subjunctive with hypothesis okay if we are to stop start online classes even with the amount of practice that i might be engaging in i guarantee you 30 to 40% of my classes will be amazingly boring for myself because i'm still learning the technology okay so Uh, it's not going to be 100% amazing classes the moment you start like lectures are not going to be uh, fantastic or exceptional or all of them using some kind of collaborative creative technology the moment you start with lecture 1 and the moment you end at lecture 100 or whatever it is that you end okay um it is going to be a learning process for both adults and students within the system alike and i think this is the space that needs to be given to educators also to say this is a transformational period it's not a period with one stop shop solutions amazon ne ek ek bar like you know hit kar diya subscribe button kar diya to delivery aa jayega nahi hota aise you're also in the process of learning so i think we're having these conversations these conversations don't percolate down to us very often they occasionally do in the form of grs and guidelines and all of that but uh, decision making is not something that uh, we sort of uh, in a sense 
at the stage of where we can communicate to everybody as far as i know including me so yeah <laughs> there the responses from the institutions at this point are quite uh, slow and uh, it's for a good reason because they so are uh... vague, basically because we're dealing with 200 variable factors mm-hmm. yeah like all these factors that i told you about inclusion if we're dealing with all of this you can't immediately say ki kal se 50% online mm-hmm. lectures karenge so 50% mein agar 70% attendance kam ho gaya so 30% attendance how will we make sure that that 75% attendance from your side is adhered to like what guarantee do we have like all of this is something that needs to be put in place and it takes time yeah they are being considered yeah and uh, i mean yeah. i remember the whole fuss about uh, uh, exams being uh, mcqs and uh, there was this whole uh, chat going on about it and uh, mm-hmm. uh, it works for technically, technically i don't think i'm allowed this is, this is just this is going up on youtube so technically i don't think i'm allowed to comment about this in any capacity you can so <laughs> i will give you very vague answers i'm preparing already in my head to give you very vague answers to all of this all right Uh, so, yeah. so you, you yeah, can have mcqs for scientific uh, papers but you can't do that for a sociology or an anthropology paper you can't have mcqs for those kind of papers quite easily because our evaluation is often based on critical thinking and mcqs is very objective you cannot it doesn't go for our thoughts and so the way i see okay um i'm not uh, okay i'm not a big fan i'm just um, i agree with your point but i'm not a big fan of the science versus arts kind of distinction here in this capacity i'll tell you why because um it's more about pedagogy in terms of if you're looking at and i think one of the things that's always kind of shoved down our throats as educators within autonomous colleges is bloom's taxonomy okay the top tier of hmm. bloom's taxonomy is creativity creation okay you need to learn to understand memorize apply um analyze critique and then create the creation element when you hold an mcq is completely taken out hmm. the the problem i personally have with mcqs is all entrance tests are based on mcqs sure they have critical analysis they have critical thinking which is evaluated if you frame the question in a manner that is tough enough all right but the thing is these are not inclusive exams these are exclusionary exams they create any entrance test is formed with the principle of i want to create a set of individuals i take into my system and i want to create a class of individuals that i push out of my system that is the ethic of an entrance test so if you're using an mcq because entrance all entrance tests have mcqs you're effectively saying that i am creating a class of included individuals versus excluded individuals so that is one dilemma that you face and the fact that creation which is supposed to be what you learn each year in a pedagogical setup any pedagogical whether it's private or it's government or it's a degree college or a school for that matter even in school when you create a model of the solar system you you're sort of engaging more tactilely with that idea and that is kind of taken away from um that that crux of what you need to do to create your set up within that knowledge system is taken away from you and i think that is the injustice that happens because um uh, giving a de- forget about giving a degree uh having a three year course on anything is not about evaluating how much knowledge or uh critical choice that you picked out of that question is is what you're taking away it's about are we making you autonomous enough to enter a world where you can create your own discourses at the end of the day have we equipped you to create and if we're taking away that idea of creation itself then it becomes problematic which is what mcqs don't do so even in science they don't do that they don't allow you to create new knowledge mcq se kabhi bhi naya knowledge create nahi kar sakte and mcq exams are 
particularly if you use the thing that all entrance exams use mcqs and therefore our model should be mcq based because they're inclusive but entrance exams are specifically geared towards creating an included class and an excluded class so that's the ethic of it and that's what we have to understand when we kind of say as a knee jerk reaction that okay fine all, all papers must have mcqs it's not really true even science teachers might have some science teachers might have issues with having mcqs for uh, their subjects because their subjects might not be geared towards being tested through mcqs it's extremely important to have sort of this engagement with assignments and research papers and writing and yeah i'm not talking about my college or our college i'm talking about education with based exactly. on mcqs yeah. in general in fact this is true of the net also it is true of the i think jnu mentions when it went to sort of an mcq mode as well where i had a bunch of my college mates who kind of said oh my god why are they making it into an mcq that does not test anything that needs to be tested so it's it's not like even entrance tests when based on mcqs are extremely good at doing what they should be doing so yeah <laughs> that the ugc net is for uh, professors and it just you're kind of saying that okay the professors have to belong to this particular class of the section that you are talking about and that too can have some kind of problems with, with it you know because uh, if all the ugc net exams have uh, uh, are mcq yeah. and if that is the criteria for becoming a professor an associate or a professor later yeah. on you kind of you know restricting the the taxonomy as you mentioned to quite a huge extent so this is coming from one of the professors who taught me and he's no longer there in college now but he said listen if you want to crack the net you have to put your brain aside and think like a bureaucrat okay that's the only way to crack an mcq test is to think like a bureaucrat think technical crack it get it done with then when you come to class when you get into the system you can bring in your critical thinking okay so sometimes the other side of you know making a test into an mcq is also let's just get this technical stuff done with let's just get a technicality done with and make sure that what we deliver in class is at least quality at least what 50 taka to leke jayenge you know and and we'll make sure that we tell the students that they take away that 50% of it those 50% of it so yeah i don't know if that adequately answers your question but i think somewhere we we kind of have to keep doing this balancing and manipulating act of like um saying we need to do some tokenistic stuff to get the system going and then engage in whatever space like we structure an agency anthony giddens with completely constantly vacillating between structure agency structure agency some tokenistic stuff you have to do some bureaucracy you have to deal with and then you see what spaces for agency community building inclusion exist and you push them forward and yet however you need to also push the bureaucracy a little into an empathetic more compassionate space because it's not always there it's always thinking by technical limitations all right the yeah. next question is about uh, science classes and uh, it mentions that since i already mentioned about humanities and how it's conversational yeah. often uh, science yeah. classes infamously end up being one sided uh, any ideas mm -hmm. on how to make them more conversational offline and online okay so uh, one right of the bat not going to say science classes going uh, end up being that way because uh, there are arts classes also that are extremely structural functional and the physical organization of the classroom space is one of the main or key elements in that the very fact that i'm separating myself by facing a different way and this is something that we do when we do goffman's dramaturgy in third year which is i go and i sit among the students and i just start having a conversation they get comforted by that the reason being you're not used to a break in the structure okay it reminds and me and of the open mic that, it reminds yes, me of yes. the open mic yes i did i did we were all very uncomfortable we were all very uncomfortable exactly 
I think every year, every year there's at least a few who are extremely uncomfortable with that. The first time we were very uncomfortable. The yeah. The second time we were like, oh, let's bash the system. <laughs> like 15 minutes of this, this is good. Um, so in this situation, let me just go back to the point that I made earlier about looking at this idea of professorial teaching versus educationist facilitation. Okay. And, and I think that's where if we use online technologies well enough, we'd be able to make that switch from being professors to being educators and not forgetting that our primary stakeholders are you guys. And I don't even like the term stakeholders because it comes from this very global MNC culture kind of thing, like very stakeholder porn. Okay. But at the end of the day, if you're supposed to be the guys supposed to take the maximum away from education, then it is um, this side of the bench and this side not facing the blackboard that needs to figure out uh, how to become facilitators and not professors and not teachers, quote unquote, okay? But rather change their role. I mean, incorporate facilitation into that role, which is not always a structural functional sort of separation through that physical space between the bench and the blackboard. Um, this is where you have multiple designs of classrooms that are being experimented on. So um, in schools in Norway, for example, you have separate tables and all of them are sort of circular tables or square tables where you have eight persons facing each other. So if it's a square table, you have two, two, two and two. So eight people, eight kids working together and the teacher circulates among the classrooms. Now, of course, they have a different population density. They're dealing with 30 students in class or 20 students in class, not 90 like we are. 110, um, I think. Another thing is... Sorry? 110, 130 SPC, actually. SPC, I mean, on my SPC list at one point, it was like 148 or something. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, JC is that's universe. How high, yeah. So in terms of ratio, you're looking at, yeah. So that's why I said support staff also. We need support staff that is there. Um, another thing is also the circular classroom or the conference style classroom where you have um, a sort of um, semi-circle where students can see each other's faces as they make points, like in a structural functional classroom, often the geography of the classroom is oriented towards the blackboard, which means everybody is looking straight in front or into their phones below, okay, or into the dabbas while eating Maggie in class. But at the end of the day, most of you have an orientation that's like this, okay, towards the blackboard. But in a in a sort of circular classroom, if I was making a point and somebody from the sort of corner of my eye wanted to say something to me, their presence is a lot more evident, and 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 that's. I think in a sense what also perhaps the screen could allow for uh, because everybody kind of can share a unless you sort of pin your video down or whatever if you unpin that video everybody in a gallery view has the same amount of footage that's going going to them and that allows for better facilitation so I think we need to learn how to manipulate these technologies so yeah yeah uh, one last point it just uh... When you spoke about circular classrooms, it just reminded me of how uh, we didn't have circular classrooms in Xavier's, but uh, we had those elevated elevated classrooms in, uh, I think only one classroom was there, uh, uh, LRO2. And uh, I remember yeah. in third sem, we had your lecture, uh, ATM lecture over there. And it was a joy yeah. because we could bring our coffees and we could have, it was yeah. very, very informal. Uh, let's hope no faculty yeah. members seeing this, but it was very informal. It was, it was a fun. <laughs> No, no, we didn't do that. Just no. <laughs> and no, uh, it was a very informal class and it was very, uh, people were open. Everyone was drinking coffee and just talking. And it was very, it was, it was, uh, it was 
you know you have this joy of learning that okay something is going something important is happening something yeah. something that's valuable right. if you feel like learning and even though it's not right. circular at least you can gauge everyone else's reaction and you too would be able to gauge Absolutely. everyone every, everyone's reaction because it's elevated you can Absolutely. see everyone's and it's not like heads obstructing and you know people using Absolutely. that as an excuse to use their phone yeah. behind someone's head or take a nap yeah. Yeah. yeah i really love that classroom it was really fun so another another way to sort of manipulate this and this is something again that we learned from alia so in alliance when we start taking classes we never allow students to sit in front of us we're always form a circle and sit okay because you don't learn a language from a teacher you learn a language by speaking it okay mm-hmm. that's important the second thing also i remember in lr01 the thing is we need to engage with these techniques of manipulating the classroom space so i gave each person a different section of the theory to explore and i made them sit in a circle and what was very interesting was when the volume started going up at one end of class slightly in terms of excitement for discussion the other group automatically said it's you better not and their outreach was immediate and their group was looking at this group that was seated as a semicircle like this so they had physical distancing in terms of, not in terms of covid but in terms of saying tumhara group wo baat kar raha kar raha hai hamara group ye baat kar raha hai but at the same time we need to kind of respect each other's space within that as well and that is something that you learn in a classroom space by engaging with another student you don't don't learn it by engaging with the professor saying that okay fine because the professor is quite powerful enough and in that position to say this is my space that is your space okay and and there is this element of you know um you stay in your space you should know uh, what is your uh, what is your position within the classroom space of the times but with students you kind of see that um that peer to peer learning happening when you break down the structural functional classroom and this peer to peer learning is possible far more with technologies coming in but they need to be manipulated and learned how to be used to disengage from the ego of professorialness and saying i will take a back step i will just drop the instructions down and see how it goes and then take feedback from that and say facilitate better next time so yeah All right, I think we have come to the end of this uh, session. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Any input? Not particular. I think what we need to take away is we need to be cautious about this idea of privatization and technologies from private spaces coming in into education because it's going to be expensive for people who can't access it. Inclusion does not always mean throwing the word around and saying, "Okay, fine, we've got this, we've got that." It means looking at very, very day-to-day situational realities that students live with. and educators also live with for example not everybody has two screens uh, even teachers might not have two screens at home and looking at the different classes of teachers also that have access to certain technologies and how we depend on institutions to make education um, and and sort of uh, teaching and learning should not stop because of difference and not only that there should be an acknowledgement and a welcoming of this difference within our students setup also and at the same time we need to innovate and we need to innovate not just with online technologies but also offline technologies and and see where we can do better for sort of um education as a setup yeah that's about it and thank you so much for having me over it it's always nice to talk with you it's always nice and challenging to to kind of engage in debate with you as well multiple issues so yeah all right uh with that we come to an end of this dummies guide uh thank you so much uh, for uh, giving your time and input and uh, this is really amazing i i hope people uh, had fun i had fun and uh, i hope they learned, took they're going to take something nice from this so uh yeah i want to thank you for being and i want to thank everyone who is watching this uh so thank you thank you